0: Matthew chapter nine. We have had an exciting month. Today's my final message in the Kingdom Builders series. We've been building toward today, taking time to pray and and seek the will of God. And today's a big day, so exciting! Man, I wish you could have been here yesterday. Many of you were. This front was filled uh, with people praying for you today, praying that as a church family that that we say yes to God, that we seize this moment and and that we're ready. It's, it's so exciting. Someone told me today after the 9 o'clock service, he a Pastor, I'm afraid and excited at the same time. And uh, I said, that usually means God's you're listening to the Lord because He's doing something bigger than you. So we're going to get into this today, and so we won't miss what's been going on. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. I've given you a different passage every week now, for this is the fifth week, that shows the heart of God and the purposes of God for you and I as believers, <clears throat> Pardon me. Verse 35, Matthew 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now notice the order of verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. You have to see before you feel. How many heard what I just said? You see before you feel. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And because they were, why did he have compassion? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What a picture of the culture that we live in today. Then he said to his disciples, notice this, the harvest is plentiful. The problem is the workers are few. Now can I tell you what could happen to us if we're not walking through what we've had the privilege to see and think and pray about this month, there are a lot of people that will tell you today with the current condition of our nation and beyond that the harvest is not plentiful. I want to tell you the harvest has never been more plentiful. The need is getting the information to the people that are looking for hope and help in their life. Do you know that right here in North Alabama, Pastor Emilio shared with me this last week, we have a five-star men's huddle that meets at, at one of the local gyms, and they work out during noon, and there was a young man they met there, listen to this, who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ one time. He had never seen a Bible. And the first time he heard the good news, the gospel, he accepted Jesus as his Savior right on the spot. This is someone living in Decatur, Alabama. They were a foreign person who moved to our country. But we just assume way too much. I'm going to tell you the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. So remember Romans 10 we shared. You know, how can they hear unless someone tells them the news. And how can someone tell them the news unless someone sends them? And so we've been all about this this month. Lord, help us catch your heart. Help us to back up from, you know, we can get in, it's okay. It's not okay, but it's it's understandable. We all have so much to do today, don't we? In this real world, you're going to work, you're going to school, you're paying the bills, you're you know raising the kids, you're you're just making life work. And you know there are unknown things that pop up, you know, an illness or a crisis or a job change. Or so and so we're just we're just making it work, head down to the grindstone. But every once in a while, we need to do what I'm talking about here. We need to back up and look around this world. We need to see. See, if Jesus went around and saw, and when he saw, he had compassion. For many of us, what happened? we want to feel before we see. It's never going to happen. You know, if I feel something, I'll do something. No, we have to see something first. And what we begin to see is that around this world, men and women by the millions are desperate to know what you and I know and what we live every day. So said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask or pray the Lord of the harvest to sin. See, that's the whole thing. There's a harvest. We need to send workers into this harvest field. So so what have we been doing? We've been taking a journey this month, and we've been asking God, God, let us see your heart. Let us back up and let us let us get a fresh view of the heart of God. And then we've said, God, as we see your heart, help us understand our purpose in doing what you want us to do, in living our life at the highest level. And so that's what we've been working on during this month. We've been praying and we, we there's a couple of things out, you know, not only God show us your heart and show us our purpose, but remember we we talked about there's a there's a urgency about this thing. It's not just, well, someday So no no. Remember Jesus said in John 4, don't say there's four months for the harvest. He says, It's ripe right now. You know, I've told you every harvest has a shelf life. You'll look around us here in North Alabama, and it's interesting. You're going to find all these farmers harvesting the same crop at the same time. Do you know why? It's not because they're copycats. It's because once that harvest is ready to be reaped, if you don't do it then, you're going to lose it. And so Jesus said, not only is the heart of the Father the lost people of this world. Aren't you thankful God loves lost things? That's you and me, huh? How many are thankful for that? And His purpose is that you and I get to be involved in that. What a privilege. But He also says, never forget, there's an urgency. The harvest is right now. Paul said uh, in Second Thessalonians three one, he said, Pray that the gospel will spread rapidly. There's an urgency about the kingdom, about our purpose, about what we're doing. And so we're saying, God, here at Calvary, we want to make sure. We know you bless us. We know that, that you're going to watch over us. But we want to make sure we're connected to your purpose for our life individually and our lives together here in this church family. Help us understand our season and our opportunity. Remember, uh, you know, we we get the privilege of communicating the kingdom of God. We get the privilege of doing what Jesus did in Matthew 9, of going around doing good. Acts 10.38, what did Jesus do? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and how he went around doing good and healing all of those under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. Aren't you thankful we get to go around and do good in the name of Jesus? Anybody thankful for that? We get to serve the city and Jesus and His friends and professional women's outreach and fashion chair and on and on it goes and our missionaries and our missions and our troops. And we get to go around doing good. We're, we're doing good in the name of the Lord and healing, releasing His power. Why? Because God's with us. He promised He would. What a lifestyle we have. What an amazing life. No matter what your profession is, no matter what you, where you go to work, where you go to school, where you live, we're connected to the purposes of God. And we, we get to say yes to Him. That's why we're here on this planet. Remember I asked you some of those big questions that we get to say yes to, that I believe everybody on this planet wants to say yes to these things, everyone I talk to, no matter if they're a Christian or not a Christian, no matter how old they are, they want to say yes to these things. What things, Pastor? Did I do my part? Did I do my part? Did I allow God to fulfill His purpose in my life? I've shared with you that uh, early as a a young pastor, if you would have asked me, what do people regret the most in life? I want to help you. What do people regret the most at the end of their life? Pastor, when you're standing with someone at their deathbed, and then, oh, their life is over and time is short, Pastor, tell me, what do you think people regret the most? As a young pastor, I would have been wrong. Here's my answer. I would have said, people regret the things they did wrong. At the end of their life, when life is over, the greatest regret is, I wish I had never done that. That's wrong. I've learned something along the way because I've walked with people through many of those times. When people know their life is at end and they're looking back, listen to me, their greatest regret is not something they did. Their greatest regret are the things they never did. That's the greatest regret of life. I hear it all the time, Pastor, I should have done this. I wish I'd done that. If I had it over to do, this is what I'd do. If I had a few more days, this is what I'd say, Pastor. I I, I regret the things I didn't do. So what are we saying? We have an opportunity to sit here and think and pray and ask God and and, and to say, did I do my part? And just do it right now. I think about the young people in this church. What a blessing that they get to live their whole life like this. There was a young couple this morning, brand newlyweds, uh, and, and blessed and just purchased their first home, haven't even made their first uh, mortgage payment. You, know, you Can you remember that? You, I remember. Do you remember the first time you bought a house? How many remember the first time you bought a house? Did that scare your socks off? It did me. I don't know about you. I was okay though I went to the lawyer's office and signed papers for eight hours. It's like, dear Jesus, they own me, they own my children, they own my grandchildren, they got my blood. I mean, I am wrapped up here. You know what I'm saying? I'm a dear Lord. And here's this young couple They were here this morning. It's so beautiful to see it. And this is why I knew God was in it. And, and, and this young wife, she was crying. And her parents said, what are you crying about? Why are you crying? She said, well, I'm so afraid and I'm so excited at the same time. They said, why? He said, because I know what God has asked me to do. And I'm excited to say yes, but I'm scared to say yes. Anybody ever been there? That's when God's working in your life. you realize what I'm saying? And to learn that at that point in life and to live that way, what a blessing. Did I do my part? Did I allow God to fulfill his purpose in my life? Did I live for eternity? Do I really believe? Do I really believe? Do I really believe that God is who he says he is? Anybody believe that? Anybody besides Edward? Anybody else believe that? Anybody, do you really believe God is who he says he is? Then I gotta ask you the next question. Then you, do you really believe he will do what he said he would do? Okay, that's a that those are two fundamental questions. Do I really believe? Do I believe that? Am I am I going to live life bigger than myself? Did I leave a mark or a legacy with my life? Did I live a life where I want my family, and my friends to say, follow me as I follow Christ? Live like I live. See. Did I live my life with no regrets? It's an amazing, it's an amazing opportunity. You know, that's why we're here at Kingdom Builders. Because we said, you know, Lord, we want to make sure that we're going to reach as many people as we can, as quickly as we can in your name. We're asking you to help us. We, we're praying to be more proactive. I said, you know, we've been reactive. This has been an incredibly generous church. I want to show you a couple things in a moment. But really, we've been reactive. Now, remember when I told you reactive is better than no active? Ever been, I've been in a church of the no active. You ever been there? No names called. But I don't want to live like that. I'd rather be reactive than no active, but I'm learning the best thing is to be proactive. I believe God knows about tomorrow. Anybody believe God knows what's going to happen tomorrow? You believe He knows how to get us ready for tomorrow so we can say yes first? Don't you want to live that life? I want to say yes first. I I don't always want to be the guy that says yes last. I want to say yes first. I want to line up and be the first one when God says, Who can I count on to do this? Lord, here I am. His scripture, he says, I looked to find somebody who would fill in the gap, and I couldn't find anybody. I don't want him to look around North Alabama and look at our assignment and our purpose and his plan and say, nobody said yes. I want to be first to say yes. Anybody want to be with me in that thing? That's what Kingdom Builders is. It's a proactive way to be first to say yes to God. And so what are we going to do? Kingdom Builders is a way we fund the kingdom. It's a way to bring provision for the vision. It's an understanding of how does the economy of God and my money and finances and ministry work. It, it sets you free. It, it, I'm, I'm going to show you in a moment the blessing that comes when we really get this. See, we're going to kingdom builders will help us do three important things proactively to get ahead of the curve. We're going to combine most of the little offerings we take during the year and put it in one category of kingdom builder to let you pray and plan and be more effective in what we do in our giving to fund the kingdom. So what are we looking at? Three areas. The primary area that takes 60 to 70% of this is going to be global missions. What we do locally and to the ends of the earth, global missions. Acts one Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The next area is to help us to continue to develop here on our local campus and, and, and strengthen our church and expand and do what we need to do. You know, right now we're under contract over on our Beltline property. We've prayed for 10 years to sell that property. And it, it, we're supposed to close in December. How many of you are still praying over this opportunity? Please don't let it go. The, I, I'm doing, doing business with some people that are a little contrary. How can I say that? Is that fair enough? Uh, they, they, they do things differently. But we're getting there. So pray. So we've been praying for that 10 years. I, I kind of feel like I've been pregnant for 10 years at that. You ladies think, listen, I've been carrying around a big de- 10 year. Listen, just think how big this baby is we're going to birth. It's taken 10 years to deliver. I'm like, You know what I'm saying? I've been incubating and praying and developing. Come on, you've been doing it with me. We're about to birth a 10-year miracle. Come on, let's thank God for that. 10-year miracle. Hallelujah. Yeah. Well, listen to this. What if God would so bless us and we would so say yes and so get this that the next time, come on, you got to get this, we don't have to wait ten years because we're ahead of this game. Everybody understand that? we got to keep the mother church healthy and growing so we can take care of everything else. You know, it must have been a lady. I read a t-shirt that said, if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Come on, what lady printed that shirt? Come on, I know one of you had to have done that. Mom, is that true? Kind of true around the house, isn't it? Mama's not happy, nobody gets happy. Keep Mama happy, all right. I'm gonna help you out. Keep Mama happy, all right. So what are we learning? We're learning. We got to stay strong here. So global missions, local church expansion, and raising up and developing future Christian leaders. We have to keep raising that generation up, getting them educated, connected, prepared, and ready. So let me show you something real quick. Or, or I don't, I didn't make a slide on this, but just very quickly, I want to, I want to go through this. I want to say first, Calvary family, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for everything you've given and all that you've done so that Calvary Assembly can do the things that God's called us to do. I recognize it. I honor it. I say thank you today. I want you to hear that. In fact, would you turn to the person on either side of you and just tell them thank you? They're a special person. Tell them that. Say thank you. Tell them thank you. Can I tell you what we're doing right now, the progress? Listen closely. I'm going to go through this real fast. This This is what this church is doing now. Aren't you thankful that we're not saying... We're going to, we're going to, we're going to. Aren't you thankful we're not saying someday we're going to get after this? How many are thankful this is going on right now, what I'm about to tell you? You ready? Okay, listen to this. We have two dream centers, two outreach centers, that are both miraculously given to us by God. Both of those campuses were given to us debt-free, without a penny to pay for that. Given to us to do the work of the Lord. I believe that's because we were faithful first, and God bless that. We're thankful for that. But listen, in just the last three years, let's just go three years. In the last three years, between these two Dream Center campuses, over 600 people have given their life to Jesus Christ on those premises or in the outreach. 600! It's amazing. I want you to get this. It isn't a little thing, not a little bit of food. At this point, we've been at it a lot longer than the Decatur Dream Center. I want you to understand that through what you guys have been doing in the ministry of this family, there have been tons, T-O-N-S. Tons of food handed out right here in North Alabama to people that are hurting. Last year there was a water crisis in Lawrence County where Lawrence County Dream Center is located, naturally Lawrence County. Anyway, so there was a, a water crisis uh, contamination there. And what happened? Uh, people were scared and frightened. What can we drink? Is there water available? The Lawrence County Dream Center, that God had blessed us and helped us to get in place, distributed more water to hurting people in Lawrence County in the first few days than any other entity in that county, government, local, church, or anything. We were right there on the spot helping. Isn't God gracious? Dozens. I, mean, I don't know the numbers of people who have been healed and the backpacks we've given to kids that go to school. And we fill them up on the weekends with food so that they have something to eat when, the, when they can't eat the meals provided at school. Just hope there's recovery ministries for women and for men and families have been changed and put together, men and women's lives. Then we go to global missions. The heart and soul of missions around the world are the missionaries, the boots on the ground guys. That's the heart and soul. If they're not there, the work isn't happening, the people that are there are making it happen, and we're supporting them. We have missionaries we support, not solely, but we're with a team of others. We're connected to supporting missionaries on every continent on the face of this planet. That's happening now. Speed the light. It's our giving that our students do. That's providing vehicles. I showed you the, operate, the, the uh, rescue vehicles or those caught in human trafficking and, and uh, the vehicles taking food and supplies. We're doing that. Chi Alpha. I am tired of the campuses of America being the place where 70% of our church kids are turning away from their faith. I say take the campuses of America back for the gospel of Jesus Christ and let's do something instead of sitting around whining about what's happening there. The most liberal places on this planet are the secular college campuses. Now, I want our kids to go to college. I want them to get their education. I want them to excel. But I will be whatever you're supposed to say when you're in church if we're going to let 70% of our kids get taken off their faith by those ungodly professors that wouldn't know God if He sat on their lap. We are going to raise up kids Am I fired up? Yeah, I'm fired up. We are going to raise up kids that will win their campus to Christ, and we're going to put a Chi Alpha ministry on those campuses and change this thing for the glory of God. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of people talking about how bad it is. We need to do something about it right now. All we do is gripe. Let's build something on those places and change this thing. It was just men on that side. I've not heard of them. I'm okay. Operation Rescue. Rescuing women and children caught in sex trafficking around this planet. Latin American child care. We're doing it now. We're doing it now. Latin American child care. Building the schools. Building the churches. Taking care of the kids. Helping with orphanages uh, like in Venezuela. Jesus and his friends uh, serve the city. Uh, professional women's outreach, fashion share outreach, uh, construction materials for the building. South Africa pastors, in two weeks, I'll be in South Africa. you've heard me talk about it, please begin to pray about this now. Ten thousand pastors and leaders already registered. And think of this, if each one of those pastors just represent a hundred people in their influence, that means within the next 30 days, we will impact one million people in South Africa. The power of God. It's amazing. But here's what you need to understand. It costs money to put all these things together. And we're bringing people together. South Africa has been a hotbed of apartheid, of racial prejudice. But in these meetings, you need to know, there will be black and white pastors sitting in these same rooms, learning together. We will make no difference. It costs thousands of dollars to make that happen. But we're committed to do it. God is with us. I think it's incredible investment. So we're building Bible schools. Do you know right now in Muslim countries and communist countries and places where there is no preaching of the gospel, it's still being done underground. And through Global University, we are training Pastors in those countries without the government knowing it that will pastor the underground churches in those countries right now. It's amazing the things that are going on. Way FM, our local Christian radio station, we're partnering with them. And the nation of Israel, it goes on and on. but And that's what we're doing. So let's thank God for what is happening right now. Great progress. Let me show you something from this week. This is this week. You ready? See this missionary? That one? I said no. 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 I'm sick of that. I said no to every one of those this week. You know why? Because i said yes to all those I just told you about. There's nothing left. We can't change the world by ourselves. There's got to be some reason. That's not made up. You can come look at these. That's this week. I was in a meeting. It's a Pastor, we're trying to get there as hard as we can. That's another Joel and Caitlin. You understand? That's another list of songs out of our church. But it's not just a Joel and Caitlin. It's Zambia, Africa. It's a country in the Middle East. It's one of the 7,000 people groups. That have never heard the name of Jesus, and right now, I, got, I I can't get what I don't have. I said, pray for us, pray for me, pray for Calvary. We're trying to do what we can. We want to do more. We're right in the middle of something called Kingdom Builders. Pray for us. Those are the those are the things that we're looking at. So so that's why we're doing what we're doing. You say, Pastor, where did you get this figure last week? You said, and kind of, I, I I saw the, you know the. Rock the world, look. And it's okay. It's good to get your world rocked. It causes you to pray. When a boat's sailing smooth, you sleep. When it's the storm, you pray. You know what I'm saying? So I rocked your world a little bit. I said, I believe God wants us to give $180,000 this next year, what right above our tithe, to kingdom building. Why? Well, it's laying here on the floor in front of you right here. That's why. I did the math. I calculated. I added it up. That's what it's going to take to take us to that next level, to say yes, to do this. And I believe that God is big enough to make that happen. Can anybody say amen with me today? I believe God is, is God who can make it happen. I believe that God is a God who's able to do it. And I believe God is going to help us do it. I want you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. I want you to That's the last book in the Old Testament. I want you to go to a familiar passage, and I'm going to tell you something you may never heard about this passage right here. I waited for this. I've been challenged with this today. From Pastor Robert Morris, who pastors Gateway Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, probably one of the greatest men to teach on giving and tithing and offerings in our generation. It's a great insight. I was challenged with this. I had to, I had to sit down and think about this. I don't know how they say it in Alabama where I grew up with all the rednecks in Arkansas. Don't comment. Uh, they would say I had to chew on this for a little while. anybody ever heard that term? You know, you understand what that means? Chewing it for a while. Okay. Well, some did. So let me let me go millennial for you. Let me think for the millennials and how. Go to Starbucks, get your latte, sit down, and do what you do there. Think about something. You know, think, think, meditate, think, do something, and and see what God will talk to you about. All right. So, I want to share something with you here. While you're finding that place, Malachi 3. Let me say something to you for just a minute. Can we dream together for a minute right now? Let's let's dream. Everybody, will you do that with me? Will you will you really finally let go of all this stuff and just dream? What if there were no limitations? Let's dream for a minute right now. Just, what if you could do whatever your greatest dream was you ever had to do for God? You know, the biggest thing you ever dreamed, what if you could do that? Dream with me. Will you dream with me? Come on, just let go and dream. You know, life just pushes all that stuff down. We need some dreamers in our lives, don't we? The Bible talks about God giving you a dream. So I want you to dream with me. Just what if? What if? You remember I've told the joke a couple of times or repeated it. as funny. It, as only Jesse DuPlanis could say, taking an offering. I remember one time he said, hey, reach over there and grab your neighbor's purse and give like you always wanted to give. We kind of understand that, what that means, don't we? But really that's not a good idea because that's called stealing. But here's what I'm saying to you today. right, Listen. I'm not asking you to reach over and grab your neighbor's purse right now. Listen, I want you to reach over and look inside God's purse right now. You got me? And dream. Here's where I made a fundamental mistake in some of the dreams God gave me. And once I learned this, I picked them back up again. And they're happening. Here's what I am mean. Maybe you've made this mistake. Come on, are you dreaming? Think about the biggest dream you ever had for God. I don't mean crazy. For God. Think about it. God. What if I could? I wish I could. Have you ever talked about Phyllis and I? We love to give. And we talked about it. How great would it be if we had this amount of money? We could give this kind of money. So just dream for a minute. All right? We're not looking in Grandma's purse. We're looking in God's purse right now. I don't know if God's got a purse, but work with me, all right? That's where we're looking right now. Here's what I had to learn. I made a fundamental mistake with some of the dreams early on in my life. Because God would show me something was so big and I asked the wrong question. Listen, this is what I said. I said, God, how could I do that? That's where I made my mistake. Because I was trying to understand how an unlimited God would do something through a limited man. Everybody with me? See my mistake? God would show me the dream and my response was, God, how could I ever do that? I want to, God, but I don't know how I could do that. And finally I began to realize it was bigger than me. It was not just what I could do. Maybe it's what I could do if I got together with enough people and what we could do together for God. Or maybe I had to become to realize that I had to help somebody else get there. In other words, this is what I've discovered. There may be something I want to do for God, but I have to realize what I can do and what I cannot do. And so maybe what I need to do for this dream, if I can't do it, maybe I need to go find someone who can do it and help get them there. See, maybe I need to do what I can and God will connect me with somebody who do things I'm not able to do. You see that? I'm going to read Malachi 3. Don't, don't, don't miss it, all right? I know it's timed out on your device, but we'll come back. Stay there. See, the illustration of this to me, the greatest is King David. David wanted to build a temple for God. David loved God. David loved the presence of God. He was one of the greatest warriors. This dude was bad to the bone. I mean, he was, he was MMA and he was Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather and your favorite Xbox dude. All together in one package, this man was bad to the stinking bone. You understand, when he was a teenager, he killed an 8-foot giant with a slingshot. And to show he was bad, he cut the boy's head off with his own sword. I mean, this guy, you understand what I'm saying, has got it. He was something else. And not only did he do that, he wrote songs and worshipped God. Now, come on. Look at this whole man. I mean, what a guy. He loved the presence of God. He sang about the presence of God. He loved it. But he became king, and he said, I'm tired of me living in a palace, and the glory of God's in a tent. i want to build a place for God. And it was, he's just dream, his passion. He said, I'm talking about your biggest dream, your greatest dream. David said, I want to build a house for God where people can worship from now on. I want to build God, the grandest temple that's ever been built. And when he first went to the uh, to the uh, prophet, the prophet said, man, that's a great idea, David. Do anything that's in your heart. And David, yes, I'm going to do that. And that night, God tapped the prophet on the shoulder and said, you spoke, but it wasn't for me. He said, you go tell David it's a wonderful dream, but he can't build it because he's been a man of war and he's shed so much blood. Somebody else is going to have to build it. Now for many of us at that point, it would have been like, oh man, we'd take our toys and gone home. But God said, David, it's a great desire, but you're not going to build it, but I'm going to give you a son. And if you'll do what you can, that boy's going to do what you cannot. Everybody with me? How did your dream come true? And the Bible tells you, you can read in the 1 Chronicles 29. Go on this afternoon. Work on this. Don't do it now, please. Listen to me now. First Chronicles 29. So David, who wanted to do this, and God said, not use somebody else, said, okay, well, I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. Today's calculation, I read this this week. This is stunning. You know what David gave to the dream that somebody else was going to do instead of him? This king that had conquered the mightiest armies and nations on the earth, who had wealth beyond your imagination stored up. You know what David gave in today's calculation to build that temple? 21 billion with the B dollars of gold and silver and jewels. 21 billion. I imagine he kind of emptied out the David IRA at that moment. I think it it was all chips on the table. But you know what? Something happened to that man. Listen to me. He said, you know, I want to do this for God and it's huge and I want to make a difference and this is my passion and God said not me but you know what, as long as it gets done that's all that matters and I've got all this gold and silver and wealth and riches sitting back here somewhere in some rooms behind this temple and it's not doing me any good it's just sitting there, I want to do something with it while I can David gave probably the greatest sacrificial offering we've ever read about for a man and he did it for someone else it wasn't even for him to make it happen we have to look at things differently. I want to show you an entire paradigm shift right now. I'm going to stretch your thinking. I'm going to challenge your religious mindset right now. Okay, is that fair enough? Is it okay to come to church and think at the same time? Good. Let's go to Malachi 3.6. i got to hurry with this. But I want to leave this truth with you. It's so important about what we're doing today and how we got here. Verse 6 of Malachi 3. You need to understand the setting. This whole nation, God's people had turned their back on Him. They had walked off from God. They were worshiping idols instead of the true God in the temple David had built or his son Solomon had built. The nation was backslidden like America. And He says to them two things that everyone in this room should be extremely happy about. Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. How many Thank God, God doesn't change? And then He says, you need to really be happy because, look at the next So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. He said, if I were not God, I'd have wiped you dudes off the face of the earth. You've blown it so bad, you don't deserve to be here. But because I'm God and do not change, you're alive today. Come on, how many are thanking God for His nature? Now watch this. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Now watch this, is very important. This word return, he's speaking to the nation. He says, you're away from me, but I'm going to give you a chance to come back to me. It's called repentance. Return. Repentance. Watch this. Repentance doesn't mean that you just say, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance doesn't just mean I don't want to pay the consequences of what I've done. Everybody with me? Here, this this is repentance. I've been walking away from God. When I repent, I stop and turn and walk in a different direction. Until I turn, I have not repented. Watch this. Let me show you this. Let me help you. This is one of the only prayers God cannot answer. Watch this. Oh God, say I'm walking away from me. Oh God, would you forgive me for what I'm about to do? You get that one? You, you can't like bankroll your forgiveness over there. You just you did it. You planned on doing it. You can't pray in the front end and then go, Oh God, forgive me what I'm about to do. Let me show you how God forgives you. God, I repent. I return to God. See what? Now watch this. Did, does does watch this, this is very important. Did God love me? more when I turn this direction than when I'm walking that direction? No. Did you get that? Does he love me more running to him than running away from him? I'm not going to rattle your brain. No. He doesn't love me more running back than he loves me running away. But he can't show me his love running away and bless my disobedience when I'm running in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? He loves you, period. But He can't find you till you start finding Him. God, I return to you. I'm sorry for what I've done. And the blessing goes over here. And God looks better on this side than He did on that side. But remember what He said. I am God and I cannot change. That's why you're alive. While you were walking over here being foolish, I didn't kill you. I just had to wait on you. Does that make sense? All the bad things happening in your life were not because I didn't love you and not because I'm not God. It's the consequences of your own crazy decision. So life is messy over here because you made messy decisions. But the moment you turned and walked back, all of a sudden I became looking really good. Why? Because you let me be me and now I could bless you like I wanted to. You understand that? That's very important what we want to learn here. Okay. But you ask, how are we to return to you? we're tired of running that way. We see how foolish it is. So how do we return? Of all the things God could have said. Think about this. Of all the things. We're talking about national revival. Let's read it. So so they ask, how do we return? Verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Now watch this. I understand and I do believe Part of this principle is that the Bible teaches us the tithe is the Lord, right? So the Bible says, I didn't say that. Some preacher didn't say that. That's not to raise money for the church. That's what God says. The tithe is the Lord. So if I take what's his and don't give it to him, you, you could say I've robbed God. But I don't think that's really the essence of this meaning. Because watch this. He says, in tithe and offerings. Well, the tithe is the Lord's, but the offering is yours to do as you will it's called a free will offering so we could say if I don't give God his tithe I've kept it or robbed but what about the offerings they're yours so you know if if Pastor Emilio if if you go rob him you didn't rob me you robbed him he got his stuff he didn't have my stuff are you following me plus it probably is kind of hard to rob God come on have you ever thought about that like how you going to rob him stick him up God All right, God, hands on the wall, God. What are you going to do? Do home invasion on God? I mean, how do you rob God? Now, I do think there's an element, don't miss me, that if you keep that which belongs to God, it's wrong. But watch his heart. He's talking about how do we get back to him. And he's talking about his desire to bless us. Are you with me? So let's keep reading. So he says, how do you rob me? Well, in tithe and offerings. Well, what does that mean to rob God? Keep reading. You're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. So what happens? As long as we are keeping from God that which is His, listen, as long as we are walking away from God and living out from under His blessing, if I'm not blessed, then what does the devil do? Curse me. So watch this. So what What are we robbing Him of? Let's keep reading. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, verse 10 that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if i not throw open the floodgate of heaven and pour out so much blessing. You will not have room enough for it. That's what the Bible says. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops. That's Those that, that things that rob your income and your livelihood and your work. For them it was agriculture. it's many things for us today. I'll prevent that from happening, says the Lord Almighty, verse 12. And look at the bottom line. What happens when we get back and return? How do people look at us? What do we look like? Then all the nations will call you what? Blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Watch this. Here's what I think we need to say. When we withhold His tithe and our offerings, because we're running from Him instead of to Him, we rob God of the opportunity to bless us. I believe that's exactly what we're seeing here. Certainly holding the tithe away from God causes the blessing not on us and curses and things can happen. But listen to this. I'm telling you, God's saying to his people, he's saying to us today that he's looking for a chance to bless you. That when we withhold that which should be given to him we are robbing God of an opportunity to bless us. Is that amazing? robbing him of an opportunity to bless us. Why? Because you know good and well if your kids are going crazy and rebellious and and, and running over here and you just keep blessing them, you are enforcing their bad behavior. I can't bless you over here. I love you. You're my kid. But if you keep wrecking a car, you don't get a car anymore. That's your 13th speeding ticket and you just got your license last month. You're going to walk again. Because I love you too much to let you kill yourself and everybody else. All right? That's not a bad parent. That's a good parent. It's a parent that says, I can't bless your rebellion. And what God is saying, when you're over here disobedient and rebellious and fearful and selfish, I want to bless you, but I can't stop robbing me of my opportunity to bless your life and line up and obey my word so I can do what I want to do. The bottom line is when we do what God says and stop robbing him of the opportunity to bless us, then people look at our life and they say, my goodness, they're blessed. That's what we see. He says, there'll be food in my house. What does that mean? That Calvary and churches that do this, what? We're going to have what people are hungry for. We're going to give them what they need. We're going to be able to be used by God. Jesus, the bread of life, will be in the house. Blessings in the house. Food is in the house. Supplies in the house. Uh, missions in the house. What do we need? What? There is provision in the house because we have been blessed by Almighty God. That's the plan of God. I want you to turn to a final place with me, and we're going to close with this. I want you to do to 1 Kings 18. First Kings 18. Turn there, please. We're going to close with this. How many of you think what God wants to bless you? Isn't it sad that we thought God was out to get us all these time? You know what I say all the time. If God was out to get you, you'd be gotten by now. You're not that fast. You're not that hard to find. Google knows where you are. God knows where you are. Google knows you've got a picture of your house right now.
1: <laughs> I can
0: Google you and find out a whole lot of things. Oh, geez. I don't do it. I don't want to. God knows where we are. His mercy says, I've kept you alive. I've held on so I can bless you, so I can change your life, so I can make you a blessing. I want to end with this. Let me just, let's go to verse 21 and we'll just reduce this. Elijah had gone before King Ahab, one of the most wicked kings, the Bible says, that had ever served Israel and had led them astray. And Elijah, because of this, God had told him, you declare a famine, and this famine and drought will stay in the land until I change it. They are months and months and months, maybe as long as three and a half years into this famine, this drought. And Elijah comes, and and, and now they're following. And why is it that when hard times come, people still are turning to God? They turn to these idols and begin to worship. And so he calls them together. In verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, you follow him. And so what he did, he said, You know what? We're going to build an altar. Now theirs was made out of stone and ground, dirt. They built an altar. The Bible says the whole nation had gathered there on Mount Carmel. He built it. Now, Elijah, he was another one of these bad dudes, man. We just need some more bad dudes in the name of Jesus. Come on. Can somebody say amen? And do that, lady, you're in the thing if that's a word. I mean, just folks that aren't afraid for Jesus. So Elijah said, okay, here's the deal. There's 850 of these prophets that had gathered that day. It's all right. You go first. We build the altar. Cut up the, the sacrifice the bull. They put it on it. Say, go. Okay, you go. Go. Start praying. Talk to your guy. Talk to the guy. Oh, and they pray all day and they yell and they scream and they cut their self and they go through their deal. And man, Elijah, you gotta understand whoever loses this thing's gonna die. This isn't just like a bad day on Facebook. This is your dad. He's not gonna be defriended, he's gonna be deheaded. You understand what's going on? So they pray, and Elijah's like like Elijah's like, man, he's he says, So maybe he didn't hear you. Pray a little bit louder. He's by himself. King hates him, queen hates him, they hate him, people won't say a word. Then he goes, so he says, you know, maybe he went to the port of John. I mean, just wait, he'll be back. Maybe he's going. I mean, this guy's just, he's smack talking, throwing shade. I mean, he's standing there. You understand what I'm saying? So he said, okay, you done? They said, we're done. We're tired. We prayed all day. Nothing happened. He said, okay. Now Elijah knows, so he backs up. <laughs> he said, okay. I'm going to pray now. He said, before I pray, though, let's do this. Cover this thing with water, just pour water off. Now, in a drought, what's the most expensive, precious commodity that exists? Water. All right, so what does he say? All right, you ready? Just cover it with water. They pour it all on there. Now, you know, it's just, like, it's just like a church getting ready to do something for God. Are you about to say yes to God? And there's always going to be somebody that says, what, listen to this. Well, you know, you ought to give that to the poor around here. What do you think we're doing? That's always a favorite thing somebody says that do not want to make about a church. Well, I think, I don't know why Calvary built that building. They just give it to the poor. Well, so we can come here and have church and do something for the poor besides you just talking about what you're going to do. That's why we built the building. All right? So anyway, poured water all over. He says, okay, do it again. They're like, man, we're running out of water. That's all the water we got, Elijah. So he says, do it the third time. Said, it's so Elijah backs up. Remember, they prayed all day. He says, all right, God, you heard him? See all the people here? Honor your name. Show them who the real God is. Boom, fire falls from heaven, burns that bad boy up, licks up all the water. And all the people jump up. Remember, they wouldn't talk while they go, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Like he's saying, Wilbert, say it. You're going to burn next. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. All you kids, be quiet. Say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Everybody got real serious real fast when fire falls from heaven. Watch this, though. I want to show you something. Elijah made an altar, a place of sacrifice, where he took the most precious commodity, the water they had, and he poured it all out. And there were a lot of people saying, he's going to be thirsty. He just wasted all that water. He just gave too extravagant of a gift. He just did too much. But he built an altar. By the way, look what's carved on this altar. What does it say? Sold. Everybody right? see that? Yeah, that's carved on the heart of God. Sold. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That's what this whole thing's about. And he said, so he built an altar and poured water on it. But guess what happened after the fire fell? Remember, it hadn't rained for three years. And all of a sudden, Elijah bows down and begins to pray, and he prays, it on the seventh time, his servant said, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, if I were you, I'd take off running right now, because rain is coming. Do you see that if you pour out what you have on an altar of sacrifice to honor God, and you put your water on that altar, God Almighty will throw open the windows of heaven, and what you didn't have enough of, God, will step on your altar and throw enough water on you that you better run for your life or you're going to drown. God is able. That's what this means. God, if I do what you say, if I build an altar, if I say yes to you, if I pour out my best, if I sacrifice, what's going to happen? God said, I've been looking for a chance to bless you and I'm going to happen in your situation. And by the way, the whole nation came to God and lives were changed. And harvest happened and crops began to grow again. When we say yes to God, it shifts everything in the scope of our life.